Ha ha ha. This is Star Talk All-Stars, the Halloween edition. I am your host, Natalia Reagan. Uh, I'm joined by my hilarious co-host, Sarah Rose Siskind. Hello. Yeah, thanks for being here, Sarah. No problem. Yeah. Very excited. For the folks at home, yeah. she's wearing a, a burger and fries shirt uh, because burgers are technically dead things. So True. I guess it is organic and it is dead and it feeds you, which also becomes a dead body. So Hey, I like <laughs> very a nice way we linked it together. But today we're going to be talking about all things dead from ancient Romans violently killed in the eruption of Mount Vesuvius, uh, made famous, of course, by the site of Pompeii. But we're not going to be talking specifically about Pompeii today. And we're also going to talk about... Dead folks today. We're going to actually talk to uh, a forensic anthropologist who works with the medical examiner. So it's going to be a great uh, killer, old time. killer show. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's a huge part of our demo, actually, is the uh, dead people. It's yeah. About 43% of all Star Talk listeners are dead. They're dead. Exactly. Yeah, fun fact. Yeah. Thank you for tuning in even after you've left this earthly realm. We appreciate it. Very but dedicated. We're very excited to dedicated. be dedicated. Hey, dead. <laughs> That's what I do. Oh, this is why we have her on the show, guys. <laughs> Uh, our very first guest, I'm so thrilled to have her. She is a fantastic uh, science writer. She writes for Forbes. Please read her article. She's a bioarchaeologist, Dr. Christina Kilgrove at uh, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Yay. So you are a bioarchaeologist. Uh, first and foremost, just so the folks at home kind of understand what you do, how would you define what a bioarchaeologist is? A bioarchaeologist is someone who studies human skeletal remains from archaeological sites to find out more about past populations, what people did, what people ate, how they lived their lives. Basically, you dig through people's trash to see how they how they did it and then also look at, at what they left behind body-wise. <laughs> exactly. So dumpster diving, but with just a lot more degrees, essentially? More like cemetery diving. Okay, cool. Okay, Ooh, got it. I like this. No, uh, but I, I always find bioarchaeology so interesting because it is a, a intersectional sort of science where it brings so many different of the sciences together. Uh, what made you want to do bioarchaeology? Were you one of those kind of morbidly fascinated kids? I know I love cemeteries growing up. Did Did you? Yeah. What happened in your childhood, Christina, that you are <laughs> like this childhood. way? <laughs> Well, yeah, I have. I have always loved cemeteries. I think cemeteries are super cool. Um, but no, I, I grew up um, and my parents were an engineer and a nurse. And so I actually from my mom, who's a nurse, there were lots of anatomy books lying around. And I so would you sort reverse... of flip through them and look at pictures of the human skeleton, the human body. And I didn't really like the squishy bits because the squishy bits are kind of gross. Um, but the skeletons were always really fascinating to me. Oh, that's really cool. So yeah, doc going into like nursing or, or medicine was not, not so much, but once that flesh boiled away. Oh, lovely imagery there. <laughs> oh, I, know. I have friends who are exactly. zooarchaeologists that I was down skeletons and oh use the scarab beetles to. Delicious. Yeah. Mm. I was going to say you combined your parents' careers by reverse engineering being a nurse. <laughs> when you think about it. Kind of. Yes. Bit, yes, it's and very profound. Engineering their diets. And <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Can I ask, were you goth in high school? Because it seems thematic. No? no, I was a total nerd. Like, no, I was not goth. Well, <laughs> they're not mutually goth, exclusive. Yeah, I would say goth. I was, I was kind of gothy, but super dorky. You pull off the eyeshadow is all I'm saying. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, but I want to talk to you about your current work right now, because what you're doing is fascinating. And you just actually had a, a, a new article come out. Um about uh, your work with Mount, the eruption of Mount Vesuvius at your particular site. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're looking at at your particular site and what came out today in terms of graffiti? 
Sure. Uh, yeah, I work at the site uh, called Aplantis, um, which is actually not very far from Pompeii. And so Aplantis is sort of this villa site. Um, it's kind of a really strange site. It's not a, a city like Herculaneum or Pompeii were, um, but it does include a bunch of dead bodies. Um, and so we've been looking at that for the past two years. I've been leading this project um, to figure out who these people were, um, to look at their age at death, um, to look at whether they're male or female, how tall they were, their diseases. Um, and now we're moving into a phase where we're looking at DNA. Um, we're going to try to figure out how they were related, whether they were an extended family, um, and then to look at their diseases, the diseases that they had when they were tragically killed um, by Mount Vesuvius. So one of the things that I'm interested in um, is disease ecology, understanding uh, what was happening at this time period. And so what came out today um, was a new graffito um, from Pompeii that I suggests like that the August 24th canonical date of when Vesuvius erupted is possibly incorrect, um, which Ooh. actually archaeologists have been saying for bum, at least bum, <laughs> oh my gods <laughs> yeah no I, I guess i will have to change because i celebrate it every year i don't know about you but august 24th i just you know i have a, i make up one i do the volcano experiment at home Absolutely. I, you can only do the reenactment once i know <laughs> very painful <laughs> no, but I, I and for the folks at home that maybe don't know a lot about mount vesuvius uh you know that are more into space rather than say uh ancient roman history can you tell us a little bit a little bit about the eruption of mount vesuvius and and even the site of pompeii Sure, yeah. Um, so Mount Vesuvius was thought by the Romans to be an extinct volcano. They knew it was a volcano, but they thought it was a Very wrong on that count. Whoopsie. Like, were wrong. <laughs> you got to imagine right before the lava comes down, somebody's like, I told you. No one believed me. God's told me. Yeah. Right. And so they, they had built all of these magnificent villas, all these really lovely summer homes down on the Bay of Naples. You know, so if you go to Naples today, it's absolutely gorgeous. Italy, um, not Florida, guys, <laughs> just so you know. Oy. Would not want to make that mistake. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so the Romans had built these huge villas there and these huge settlements. Um, and then the volcano erupted over the span of about two days in 79 A.D., um, and we don't get a lot of historical records until about 20, 25 years later when people start writing about what happened and how these huge cities were just completely destroyed by the volcano. Wow. And and, and at Pompeii, what has been made so uh, famous is that the people that were killed were almost essentially vaporized, leaving perfect, almost perfect casts of how they met their ultimate demise. Essentially. They, so they left the, the outer part of the cast and then archaeologists and conservators um, came in and then filled that in um, with plaster to make the 3D um, reproduction cast. Okay. Yeah. So you study the diseases these people had before they yes. were completely eviscerated. That is very dark. So you literally, you're saying if they, you're like, oh, if they'd lived, they probably would have died anyway from a terrible disease. And then if they yeah. didn't die from that, they would have probably been burned for witches or other stupid reasons. That boy, history sucks it's is dark. the moral of the show. Study science, kids, because history <laughs> is depressing. Yeah. Tell me a little yeah. bit more about, uh, you know, just the pathology you're seeing there, like certain diseases that are they common to things that we're seeing now? Or are they things that vaccines, get your vaccines, folks, get your flu shot <laughs> that we can prevent? 
Surprisingly, at Aplantis, everybody's relatively healthy. Um, oh. All of those individuals over about the age of 40 have arthritis because, of course, as we hit essentially 40 biologically, we just go downhill um, and we all get osteoarthritis. Um, and so they have that. They have some cavities and other sorts of dental issues. But on the whole, they actually seem to be pretty healthy, mm-hmm. um, which is why I'm really interested in this population, because when we look at people who are buried in the cemetery, they're there for a reason. They're there because they died of tuberculosis or something. Um, and so looking at the people from Aplantis and Pompeii, we can get a better idea of, of the diseases that people were living with. Um, so we have already found uh, ringworm, not ringworm, um, oh my gosh, roundworm okay. uh, in some of the samples. <laughs> mm. um, so they were definitely living with some parasite conditions, um, we know already. Did the, so the parasites were still somehow intact? How could you, how could you tell? Um, so this work is uh, being done uh, by my colleague, Piers Mitchell um, at Cambridge, and he looks at um, soil samples and looks for the eggs, basically like the preserved fossilized eggs of these parasites um, in the soil. Uh, that's from around their intestines, where their intestinal area used to be, um, and is looking for these parasite eggs. Oh, man. That's- this is why I love, yeah. I, mean, I think bioarchaeology is so inf- interesting because it is a, a culmination of multiple sciences that have to kind of work together in order to, to come up with... How terrible things were in yeah, history. how life really sucked. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That Mediterranean yeah. diet, it sounds like it works. Oh they were mostly healthy. Uh, yeah, it sounds like they were losing a lot of weight, that I'm, parasite <laughs> diet. I'm curious about Aplanus in terms of uh, of wealth. Did, they, did this seem like to be a perhaps, um, like I know that... Machu Picchu is thought to be more of like a summer home of of a rich, you know, ruler. Is Aplantis potentially people that had wealth that could maybe afford a better lifestyle? Is that something to take in consideration? Absolutely. Um, like the part of Aplantis that I work at um, is sort of a probably a business. It's almost like a mixed use development where people were probably living on the upper floors and you know going about their business on the lower floors, um, and so it's possibly associated with this massive villa that may have belonged to one of the emperor's wives, um, Emperor Nero's wife, Popeia. Um, But that wasn't occupied at the time of the destruction. Um, This business was in use, and it's possible that um, one of her freedmen or slaves was running the business, this sort of import-export wine business. Um, So it's possible that that some of these people did have a significant amount of money, um, but they likely weren't the sort of elite of the elite, the the, Roman 1%. And you're gleaning this data about, you know, who was there and, and who was actually running uh, the site from, is it written records from before uh, this actual, or is it this just clearly from your research looking at skeletal remains? Um, it's, it's actually mostly from archaeological, previous archaeological research. Um, the human remains hadn't been studied until I started studying them, um, but a significant amount of archaeological work has been done over the past 20 years or so. Um, and so they've found, in terms of the artifacts and wine seals and other sorts of things, um, they've pieced together the idea that um, this was some sort of business. Oh my God, this is like the ultimate freeze tag. I just realized this whole thing. Does does studying this ever make you think about what would happen if you were just like locked in time in this exact moment you're in and then you become overwhelmingly embarrassed? Because it does for me. I feel like I would just be captured in history in the most unflattering position 
Possible. Oh, absolutely. No, I mean, yeah. I, I brought two graduate students with me this past summer, and that's pretty much what we would joke about on the way to sites <laughs> every day is like what we would do if Vesuvius, because Vesuvius is still there, what we would do if it erupted, like, would we get in these really strange positions? Would we start hugging each other so that they thought we were this, you know, like <laughs> right? triplex of like Just, goddesses? Or I would something? confuse. Like, what's yeah, the like weirdest why? thing we could do? Yeah, yeah. Oh, brilliant! Oh, that's great! Yeah, you can confuse future future archaeologists or like leave messages. Exactly. Just a big middle finger, maybe. Yep. Just like. Yep. Also, you got to think that when Vesuvius is exploding, that one of you would be like, I told you guys. <laughs> <laughs> to get in kind of the nitty gritty, uh, when you look at different uh, remains, I what, actually I'm going to quote one of the coolest headlines I've seen in a long time that you wrote um, oh, okay. that says Mount Vesuvius eruption exploded skulls and vaporized bodies. Roman archaeologists find that would be you. That is a lot to well, take in. That, Tell that me more about this. Ex- at, uh, at yeah. Yeah. Can, I, can I make one addition? I think I would rephrase this to say 15 exploded skulls that will blow your mind. Ooh, How did you miss that? That's good. How did you miss that? No, but I just, I, the, the, there was a term in the paper uh, or in the, in the article, and I know it's not your specific necessarily site, but just, it, it, or is it, is it, did this happen at Aplantis as well? This particular uh, no, not that I've seen. Okay, but I'm just curious about the the term of uh, uh, fulminant shock. Basically, this is when um, all vital uh, activity ceases, and you're basically your your soft tissues are vaporized. How can you tell that that happens to an individual? I'm just because I'm sure folks at home are wondering too, because I was fascinated. <laughs> Yeah, um, right. So, so this is a, a paper that's um, recently out by some researchers that are working at, at Herculaneum where the skeletons were found on the beach. Um, so they're in this sort of non-protected area and then there are some people in a protected area and like a boathouse area. Um, and so the researchers there have found these really odd like black and red concretions, I guess, like sort of mineral deposits on some of the skulls and some of the other body parts that they originally thought might be iron. Um, and so they thought it might be iron that has sort of precipitated, I guess, out of the blood. Um, and then they started looking at um, evidence of fractures and fracture lines in the skulls and suggesting that uh, intense heat could cause that intense heat we know can cause fractures. Um, and uh, it could cause this sort of mineralization or blood staining, I suppose. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. It is just crazy to me what you guys look at a crime scene and say, well, that's strange. The fact that the skulls are red, like, would not be my first thought of like, well, that is strange. There's a lot going on there. That's that's strange. No, at at Atlantis, we have a skull that turned blue, which is really interesting. And I still am not entirely sure why. It was a member of the Blue Man Group. Really. <laughs> to say that could have yeah. just been an archaeologist trying to screw with you guys, trying to leave a little mystery. When was Aplantis first discovered by uh, modern day archaeologists? Um, it's really hard to say. So, um, uh, like um, in medieval times, sort of late medieval times, um, the kings of Naples and stuff had their like castles or palaces or whatever built on top of these sites, and so you get sort of early excavations in like the 16 and 1700s where they were like putting in, I don't know, pipes for the Royal toilet or something. I'm not even sure. Um, and, uh, so you some pieces coming up, but, um, Aplantis itself wasn't really fully excavated until like the eighties and nineties, 1980s and nineties. Oh, wow. Okay. Shoulder pads and archaeology. <laughs> <laughs> 
no archaeologist is, uh, you know, a full archaeologist without the real shoulder pad. Mm -hmm. They're very important. Pith helmet. Um, well, we're going to have to wrap up uh, this part of uh, the show, but we're, you know, stay tuned because we're going to be talking about how you bring the dead back to life using really cool technology. Hello, and welcome back to Star Talk All Stars, the Halloween edition. <laughs> I'm your please host. Go that in post, guys. Yeah, please go that in post. I'm your host, Natalia Reagan, joined by my hilarious co host, Sarah Rose Siskin. Hello. I am humorous as a skeleton's humor. I'm going to try and fit as many Halloween puns into this segment as I can. And I think she's alive. Uh, and we're joined by our morbidly fascinating uh, <laughs> biological anthropologist, bioarchaeologist, uh, Dr. Christina Kilgrove. But we've been talking about all things dead because you study some of the most fascinating stuff, uh, the eruption of Mount Vesuvius and those that were left behind. And uh, mm -hmm. you get to look through their remains and determine some really cool things about what could have possibly killed them if it wasn't that darn volcano. So what can you tell us about how bioarchaeologists determine you know, cause of death, age, and all that kind of stuff. Sure. Yeah. Bioarchaeology, just like forensic anthropology, is built on the practice of osteology, of understanding what, what bones can tell you. So, you know, if you've seen the TV show Bones, um, it's kind of like that, only applied to the past. Um, so one of the first things that we would look at is age of death of the skeleton and see if it's an adult or a child. Obviously, children are still growing, so their bones are going to be smaller um, than adult bones. Um, and we can look at their teeth as well um, because they have a different set of teeth than adults. Um, once we figure out age of death, um, then uh, we can look at sex, um, biological sex. So we would separate um, uh, the adult population into males or females because there are biological differences in the pelvis, especially um, since the female pelvis is evolutionarily adapted for childbirth. Um, it is sort of shorter and wider to accommodate that. Um, from there, we can move on to understanding stature, how tall somebody was um, based on the length of their leg bones and their arm bones. Um, and what diseases they might have had, or if they had healed fractures, if they, you know, fell and broke their arm, um, and it wasn't completely healed at the time of death. Um, and so those things we can do non-destructively just by looking at them. Uh, and then we would get into the more, uh, destructive chemical analyses where we analyze, uh, dental enamel or bone collagen to figure out things like diet or family relationships, DNA and stuff like that. Here's a quick tip about the mm -hmm. male and female skeletons. The male ones will look like they're explaining something to the female skeletons. There's just a little yes. bit of like a arms crossed or like a <laughs> finger point. <laughs> Usually I can, sure. I think. Also, I think that most skeletons look like they died right before they're about to go to bed because they all look like they're yawning. So this is mm -hmm. why I'm not an archaeologist, <laughs> is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> but you're an excellent comedian. Uh, but I will deduce things. I no expertise, but I will talk about yeah, it. I know man mansplaining up until death would be, you know. Oh God! Can you imagine? I told you, Carol. Are there anything that anything that you've seen uh, specifically in a plantus in terms of, uh, like, say, for instance, less breaks or, or or more breaks or more, you know, instances of disease than other sites you've uh, you've excavated? Um, at Aplantis, there are fewer. Um, everybody seems really healthy. Um, there is like a, a healed um, humerus fracture, so sort of around the middle up of the upper arm. Um, there was also one woman who had a little bit of a depressed fracture on her cranium. Um, so like on her frontal bone, 
something happened and she got doinked with something. I don't Is that know the official what term? or sort of when, <laughs> but there's like this little depression um, and a small healed fracture. Um, Interesting. So I can't always reconstruct exactly what happened, but it's I know it's a mid cranial medial doinkage. Um, <laughs> I think I've heard of that. Yes. I walk into plenty of doors. I would understand. <laughs> it makes that sound effect. Doink. Doink. Uh, yeah, that, I mean, and, and is there any, I know that you have found actually, uh, pregnant women, uh, and fetuses as well. Um, I mean that, how is that for you? Is that just kind of an interesting find? Does it, does it make you feel anything? I mean, you have feelings is what we're saying. Yeah. I I just wanted to know (laughs) if you you left, any left? Yeah. Just (laughs) no, um, yeah, I, I, I've done this for so long. I've done this for, you know, about 20 years in terms of studying it, that it, it doesn't really affect me um, that much, except after I had kids, uh, my older one is nine and my younger one is five. After I had kids, um, excavating those children and mm. like the pregnant women, that kind of got to me, you know, where I was starting to empathize and putting myself in the position, especially of, you know, the woman who was in her third trimester, like oh about God. to pop oh. and suddenly pregnancy you know, is bad enough as it is. Her. Yeah. Jeez. Can you imagine? I mean, like I can't imagine walking during third trimester, much less like, ah, crap, I can't run from this thing. Oh <laughs> like, God. what are you going to do? <laughs> Um, I, 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 I'm going to say this, uh, Christina has amazing kids. I, I get to, and we're friends. So I get to plug. Say, no, I just, I, I'm always interested. Cause I, you know, when you're a kid, I just remember Mike, my, my mom didn't want me to watch the scary movies and like, cause of dead, you know, and kind of like oh. hid death from me. And I do find it interesting since you, you, you study dead things. Does that affect the way you talk to your kids about death? <laughs> Um, yeah, it does. Um, my husband and I are fairly frank with them about everything from sex to death. Um, yeah. If they have questions, we answer them. We don't answer any further than what they've asked. We just sort of answer that question. <laughs> and if they have more questions, then we keep asking. You know, we keep answering them. Um, but yeah, they're they're super fun. They're all, all kids. I think are like mini scientists. You know, they love experimenting from the time that they can drop a block and they get excited about gravity to right. <laughs> you know, finding <laughs> stuff in the backyard. Like they're great. I will just say your kids must be so powerful at school with all of this knowledge. <laughs> they they can really rule the roost. They can really tell they, other they, kids. They what really I like from Facebook, these kids are awesome. Like, <laughs> I, I hope to have kids like these kids. Uh, I, and I, well, I was also interested in. I mean, I, I mean, you know, you know, you're going to die of volcanoes. Yeah, I'm hitting. sorry. What? Well, we're talking about Mount Vesuvius. Oh, okay. Corrupting. Good, because I'm not going <laughs> to. Did you find anybody in maybe a keep going precarious position that might have looked like you know what? Ooh, hey, we've got interesting. We've got about five minutes. Uh, that's all it takes me. Were they, I mean, embracing at least some sort of like, I mean, I'm not saying it has to be, you know, that, that soft tissue doesn't preserve, but like, did you find more? I, I would. Well, it's not exactly that soft. Hey, oh, um, like just some sort of amorous sort of like connection other than, or is it just kind of everyone running for their, for their life? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not entirely clear. Um, at Aplantis, there are sort of just piles of bodies. So. We have no idea what was That's happening true. in the piles of bodies. I don't know. Um, but at Pompeii, Shame they've definitely secrets. interpreted some of them as lovers over the years. Um, so there was one that um, was like a group of, they thought it was a male and a female. So they were like, you know, amorous lovers. Um, and then it turned out to be two women. Once they looked at the bones uh-huh. and then they're like, oh, they were just friends. 
Well, I mean, we don't. Like, well, why can't they what? have cameras? Letters too. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. Uh, but I do want to uh, ask you some questions about the technology used to actually determine some of uh, you know your findings, like this three D imaging, and you know how how does that work? How do you f- how do you see it working in the future? 3D imaging is magic. I love it so much. Um, you heard it here. Science is magic. I just want to plug your site. It's it's Faces of Aplantis, right? Facesofaplantis.com. Yeah, yeah facesofaplantis.com. Um, Check it out because the 3D imaging is amazing. And How do you spell Aplantis, by the way, for the folks at home? O-P-L-O-N-T-I-S. Just an interesting name. I Could you tell us briefly what that means, Aplantis? Um, I honestly don't know where the okay. name comes from. I would have to look that up. Just make something really confident up. And uh, it means yeah. um, two female lovers locked embraced forever. No. Um, yeah, but so so at Aplantis, um, I have been doing some 3D imaging um, using uh, laser scanning. You know, we're using 3D scanning. Um, but the handheld scanning, so the scanning is not as great as if you have a like fancy tabletop scanner. Um, but to go into the field, we use just a handheld scanner. Um, and I've been scanning some skulls, um, mostly because I'm hoping at some point to do forensic facial reconstruction. Um, once I get an idea of, you know, what these people, what their age of death was, whether they're male or female, um, potentially things like hair color and eye color um, from the DNA, um, then I'm going to hope to do some some facial reconstructions and figure out what these people um, look like. So hot or not. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's, that's what we're all wondering, right? No, well, I'm, I, <laughs> well, no, I, I always love Elizabeth Danier. She does all the reconstructions of the, you know, all the hominin, ancestors and i just think they're they're a great way i think to get modern day people interested in 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 the history of our of our species and our ancestors but also history because i think that i mean i i find it fascinating no matter what but maybe it'll get somebody else to come check it out a little bit can people visit aplantis is it is it a tourist site or is it pretty much a scientific site at this point um, Aplantis, the, the large villa is open to the public and it's fantastic. It's very inexpensive to get in and it's this magnificent villa. It has like, it literally has an Olympic sized swimming pool. I mean, it's, it's just a fantastic villa. Um, so that is open to the public, but Aplantis B where I work is not, um, open to the public. Um, and it's just a research site. Now do you do, uh, field schools as well? I have not done a field school. Um, no, I've just taken a few graduate students over with me to help out. Yeah, that's one of the cool things, by the way, in, in anthropology, archaeology, and, and many of the ologies, you get to, to, to become what you you are, which is, in her, Christina Kilgrove's case, a, bio, a bioarchaeologist, you go to some sort of school. In my case, I chased monkeys in Costa Rica for three weeks, which doesn't sound like work, but it was. It, and it's a really cool mm-hmm. way to kind of see, can you hack it in the field? Um mm-hmm. Yeah, in my field, you just uh, constantly disappoint your mother. That's how oh. you get field training. Sure. Um, <laughs> very, very Doing useful. great. Thanks. Doing yep. great. Succeeding at this. <laughs> so I'm curious, uh, where do you see the field of bioarchaeology going in the future? Like, where would you like to see your site go next in terms of, uh, I mean, aside from re- doing reconstruction, is there another near place nearby that you want to check out? Or are you kind of just like, I'm in love with Aplantis. I oh want to stay gosh. here. I want to study all the skeletons, all of them. Just you should just literally all of them. I wish so, you would. <laughs> there, there are actually a lot of skeletons in Italy um, from the Roman period that have not been studied. Um, and so I would love to, you know, even if not personally, to sort of have a little tribe of mini-me's 
um, go out, you know, students, um, go out and study um, these skeletons because I think what we can learn about the Roman world um, is immense um, from these skeletons because these are generally people um, who are not in the history books. They're women, mm. children, they're slaves. We don't know about historical records are really through archaeology. Um, so I definitely like to see that in, in the Roman world. Um, but it, for bioarchaeology as a field, um, I definitely see a molecular genetics sort of component um, coming up um, where DNA um, is getting easier and faster and cheaper to do. Um, and so I think that's, that's going to give us a lot of information, but it's also going to possibly have some ethical issues um, that will arise. Are Italians, uh, in terms of accessing DNA, are, are they open to it? I mean, I know that you know certain populations throughout the world have been a little bit uh, apprehensive about letting scientists take DNA from what would be considered ancestors. Although if these people died in their tracks, they probably didn't have any descendants now that I think about it, but they're still related, still related. True. They are still related. And some of them escaped. I mean, these are just the people who weren't able to escape in Pompeii and Herculaneum and such. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the, the Italians are generally very open um, to allowing analysis of human skeletal remains and animal remains uh, to try to answer these questions about the past. You should definitely convince people that there are skeletons in Cancun um, and that it's very important that you go there and uh, <laughs> stay there on the beach just looking, you know, looking in case some show up. I do. I mean, I, I'm sure there are. Yeah. The Yucatan. Well, I mean, that's where you feel like 65, 66 million years ago. That's where the asteroid hit. I am going to switch fields. I go. Yeah. I've discovered. Yeah. You can go. There's ar there's archaeology. Disappoint there. my mom in a new way. <laughs> Working in Italy is not half bad. I mean, they've got amazing wine and pizza. And I went on and so skeletons. many different wine tours where they had like wine paired lunches. I mean, oh my was, God. pretty amazing. What are we <laughs> doing, doing in this? We're, we work. We're, what are we, I'm sorry. <laughs> but what, I just one last quick question. Um, what, how yeah. did you end up in Italy? How did you end up studying what you studied? Like specifically <laughs> Italy. I, I had actually always wanted to do um, Greek bioarchaeology. I was always interested in the mask of uh, the mask of Agamemnon from the circle graves at Mycenae. I was completely fascinated by that. Um, and then I went on an archaeological excavation in Greece, and I wasn't such a fan. <laughs> <laughs> what are you trying there, to no say? To like anybody, it just like that sort of context was not for me. Um, and so the next year, our Greek I demographic just Tuscany, stopped. Yeah. Um, <laughs> instead, and we stayed at this villa, and there was a pool, and there's wine, and it was much more my speed. But I have, I, I have always loved the sort of first century AD Rome, the Augustan era, where like poetry and other sorts of things flourish. So it was sort of a natural progression then um into studying roman skeletons wow that no I, I i don't blame you i'm right i'm ready to get on the next plane to to, to naples let's do it let's, let's go yeah on, sarah i'm out yeah you can make fun of yourselves i gotta go <laughs> <laughs> uh, i want to thank you so much dr christina kilgrove for being on the show uh, and and schooling us in all things bioarchaeology Absolutely. i hope to have you back on because this was fantastic i hope if i die you examine my skeleton yeah thanks yeah. <laughs> no, I was going to say that people have actually emailed me and sent me letters before to say that they would like to donate their bodies to me. That's and interesting. And I have to say, no, thank you. Oh, my God. <laughs> a compliment? I know. It's, it's, is that, that's ultimate fan mail right there. I was about there. to say. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's, yeah. Uh, well, thank you so much. And stay tuned, guys. We're going to come back and we're going to talk to a forensic anthropologist from the medical examiner of New York City. It's going to be a lot of uh, deadly fun. 
Woo! <laughs> <laughs>
Um, and then the other question can be, you know, uh, what happened to them, right? So then we're going to look at trauma. We're going to look at sharp force trauma, blunt force, burning, gunshots, and try and, um, you know, help out and give a skeletal picture of what might have happened to that person. Oh, wow. Okay. So uh, in terms of uh, your, your training, like what, what made you actually want to go into this field? Was it something, again, we, we asked Dr. Christina Kil- Kilgrove, you know, were you, uh, was it watching a lot of shows? Was it just a morbid curiosity? Or do you see yourself as, as a calling to help people? Because obviously you're helping solve potentially unsolved murders. Or help with the zombie apocalypse. Sure. Absolutely. Both of those are, are pretty, you know, Valid. compelling points. Yeah, I know. I kind of, I was lucky enough. I had an anthropology, a cultural anthropology class in high school. And I kind of showed up. I went to the University of Florida for my undergrad and was like, this is cool. Let me find out what biological anthropology is all about. Let me find out what archaeology is all about. Kind of quickly went into forensic anthropology and was like, oh, this is really, really cool. And just sort of, you know, focused my coursework and what I was doing, you know, to, to you know, Go down that, go down that forensic anthropology road. So that's kind of how I got into it. A lot of weird stuff goes down in Florida. I feel like this is <laughs> very relevant. Yep, absolutely. A lot of old people, a lot of mysterious it's stuff. It's yeah, good, it's a good play. I wonder if there's a lot of forensic anthropologists coming from Florida. Just, just a guess. Just a- there are actually University of Florida is a pretty well-renowned program mm-hmm. for that. So I was lucky. I didn't go there for that. But it just happened to be there. So I was, I was certainly lucky in that regard. Uh, I'm curious about what what is the criteria to end up at the medical examiner's office. Because not everybody obviously does. I think you just have to die. No, I mean, <laughs> yes. Ah, <but laughs> gotcha. <laughs> that is, that is. You would have did there. Boom. You know. Okay, sorry. You mean as a <laughs> profession? Yes. Yes. Uh, so um, we have four full-time forensic anthropologists within our office, which is which is a lot. Most uh, medical examiners' office don't don't have one full-time necessarily. So we're lucky there. Um, it's people that have really focused on. Training in, you know, the hands-on, looking at casework, um, you know, uh, being, you know, able to do laboratory analysis. We also get involved a lot with uh, field recoveries. So we'll go out to scenes, we'll look for clandestine burials, um, you know, we'll help out at fatal fire scenes, stuff like that. So it's just, you know, a culmination of education and trying to get experience before you end up at the ME's office. So a typical day for you, I mean, I guess it really depends on what you're dealing with in terms of cases. You could be in the field. You could you could also do do lab work as well as part of your job. Is that a big part of it? Absolutely, yeah. So with the lab work, right, we're we're more or less consulting with the medical examiners who are forensic pathologists, physicians who are responsible for that cause and manner of death determination and writing a death certificate. Um, so our skeletal analysis is really going to inform their ultimate you know autopsy report and their findings. But we're also available to uh, you know, assist our death investigators. If there's any scene that's relevant for anthropology, be there. We'll we'll go out there. Um, in particular, mass disasters. We're always involved with those types of responses. Um, yeah. So the great thing about the office is there's not really a, a typical day. You know, we can be doing a lot of different things on on any given day. Some intense water cooler talk right there. Yes. <laughs> My goodness. Absolutely. What counts as a, a mass disaster? What was the phrase you used? Yeah, mass disaster, right? So we're in New York City now. So 9-11 is kind of a right. you know, classic example of a very complex was, mass disaster. You guys helped a lot with, with the reclamation of remains. and, and We did. Yeah, yeah. And so actually when I started in 2007, if you remember back in 2006, they found more remains down at Ground Zero. And there was a shift in the investigation with wow. the OCME sort of taking a, a lead because you know, we're, we're looking for basically fragmentary bone at that point. So um, having anthropologists on staff there was really important. But in terms of mass disaster, you know, there's a couple different definitions for it. It's usually um, 
when the resources of a, of a certain jurisdiction are sort of overmatched by, you know, the amount of decedents or, uh, you know, the complexity of the scene. Um, so, it, you know, it just generally means, you know, a lot of people at once. It can be a building collapse or, a, mm. a, you know, a plane crash, something like that. I see. Yeah. And, and as somebody that obviously has a, a an intense background in osteology, do you ever have, you know, like reports of people like thinking that they found human remains? But of course, you look at it and you're like, those are animal remains. Is that a common thing? Because I, I have friends that have told me that too. And I'm just wondering if that... Yeah, absolutely. Um, that So I sort of skipped ahead and talked about what we work on in the biological profile and, and the trauma aspect. But really, the first question is, is it human? Because so <laughs> frequently, you know, people call in and, you know, you look at it, somebody's lunch, right? It's chicken wings or, uh, you know, sometimes it's not even bone. And so you don't want to, you know, put the resources of law enforcement to hold a scene when it's, you know, a... a, a pig or something like that. So yeah, that's actually one of the kind of buffalo wings. Yeah. How often does this happen? Uh, Non-human bones getting called in quite frequently, quite frequently. Yeah. Okay. Uh, So many questions, follow-ups. Who is slaughtering all these animals and then burying them like humans? No. And uh, why aren't these, (laughs) why aren't these animals being taken to a farm upstate like they should be? Uh, to live on forever, like they my just parents went over the Rainbow Bridge. Yeah, Sarah. They yes, just, this is. No, 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 this isn't. There should be no animals. Animal. This is just you know normal food consumption. People finding people in New York are slobs. Let's be honest. Bones all over the place. Yeah. What? Oh my God! I need to. I need to move. <laughs> Sarah needs a moment. Oh God. Um. I mean, is your work ever difficult for you? Do you, I mean, you've been doing it for 11 years is there, and I, I know that for me when I, cause I, you know, I'm friends with Chris and I'll see him at, at the bar and I have to remember that, you know, he spends his day dealing with death. And I, I do wonder how, what, 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 you know, talking to somebody who's, who deals with ancient death also deals with it daily, but this is somebody current. And I wonder how that wears on you if it, or if it does, or if you, or if you don't have a soul. Yeah. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, answer that, but I think that, you know, I'm, I'm really more interested in, you know, solving the puzzles and yeah, I like mm-hmm. answering the questions. And so I think that if it's something that was going to be emotionally taxing for you on a day-to-day basis, it's probably not, you know, necessarily the calling for you. So I, I find that a lot of my colleagues and myself don't te- tend to take it home with us, you know, and that kind of that emotional uh, taxation. I, I, yeah. I, I feel like it's, it's not a huge problem. Wow. Yeah. You guys are very impressed. I have a I have a pitch. Okay. That so so medical examiners should have an award ceremony called the Emmys cuz like medical <laughs> examiners, I don't think that's taken yet. So Okay. I'll you know for the next conference. I do know. Can solve the most deaths, you know. The Emmy that might be be game for that. that yeah. might, uh, you know, kill kill for a chance at winning an Emmy. I'm not saying they should. Don't get any ideas, Chris. Okay. Uh, Chris does have. I, can I can I bring up that you have an amazing hairless cat? I do. Yeah, he's the best. He's he's a really his name, related to the. No, I just want to randomly bring up the. Was it was it hairless when you got it? Was hairless when we got it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or was is it just very stressful? I would pitch with you? a show where you guys are a team, a forensic anthropology team. Oh and, my god! And the cat and you self crimes together. Chris um, and the hairless and, cat. I'm, I'd watch that I'd watch, heartbeat. I'd watch the, the crap out of that show. Um, I, I also want to talk to you about some of the techniques that you that you use. Um, you know, Christina Kilgrove just talked about 3D imaging. Do you use techniques such like like that, or is are things like um, environmental DNA, DNA that's left behind by an individual? Is that used a lot in your in your work? 
Yeah. So, you know, with anthropologists in our office, right, we, you know, we're examining the bones and it's really, you know, physically picking up bones, looking at it. So we're not utilizing as much of these advanced techniques, but our agency as a whole, you know, our DNA lab is the largest public DNA lab in the country. They're coming up with a lot of new techniques all the time. Um, They're working on um, some rapid DNA typing, which is really, really interesting. Um, so, you know, we, we do, I think the imaging is actually something that's really, really cool. It's getting better and better and it's going to, um, you know, help out with that. But, you know, current, the big push, as far as I see it in in forensic anthropology is for method validation, standardization across the board, and really trying to make sure that people are applying the, you know, the correct techniques and, and the best techniques that they can. Are the techniques that you're using, just because I know that, I mean, I I have, uh, I know anthropologists that are working, like, say, for instance, on the border and those that are trying to cross and unfortunately don't make it. Are are those techniques that can be taught to, it sounds like, different MEs throughout the the country and and potentially help solve those, you know, uh, figure out, determine who those people were? Is that kind of the idea is? Yeah, absolutely. Right. We wanted this to be as transferable as possible. And one of the things that we also think about is, you know, we're examining, you know, a range of human variation. And so if the study sample for, let's say, something that I would estimate age of an unknown person in New York City, is that appropriate for someone crossing the border in Mexico? Is that population going to, you know, is their skeleton going to change the same way? So there's a lot of research out there that's trying to, you know, sort of focus that in and, and, and do the best we can for, you know, that specific population. So if I wanted to help you guys out with research by like dying in the most flamboyant way, like what, or like confusing way, you know, for research purposes. Um, Sarah's very dedicated to this. I'm very dedicated. Uh, I commit to the bit is what they say about me. Mm-hmm. Um, what it, so if I died like covered in gasoline, but like not on fire, uh, next to a broken cage, uh, holding a locket, and um, with a list of names and my name was crossed off at the top, um, would that help? Like, would that be like confusing <laughs> enough that it would be a real challenge, you know, for a, a whiteboard right now to go through all those? No, that wouldn't be particularly helpful. Yeah, it's wow. quite, quite confusing. Yeah. But if you wanted to stage an elaborate, you know, with yeah. the more documentation that right. you gave Orange. to us ahead of time, <laughs> okay. we could really learn something, right? Because it's not something that we could really do experimentally. So That's true. So, yeah. Okay. All right, so just wink, wink. Right. So one last question before we have to wrap it up. Chris, is there something you would tell somebody who wanted to become a forensic anthropologist, like a a little tidbit of advice, but what would that be? Uh, Boy, I mean, uh, as much uh, relevant coursework as you you can take, and I imagine people are maybe in undergrads and, and don't have a forensic anthropologist on staff, um, so you can still take, you know, skeletal biology classes, biological anthropology classes, but keep an eye out for field schools that are sort of relevant to osteology. Keep an eye out for short courses. A lot of the forensic programs throughout the country uh, have these week-long courses that you can go and, and meet the professors, get an intensive education, and then just reach out to, you know, folks at universities that are doing what you're interested in and, and sort of see what they have to say as well. Awesome. No, that's great. That's great advice. Oh, and bonus question. What are you going to be for Halloween? Ooh. I don't, I don't know yet. I have no good answer. Ah, well, I we'll assume your office parties are <laughs> very intense and competitive. <laughs> I'm very disappointed right now. Yeah, I, I am disappointed. You have so many supplies on hand. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, we don't. Unfortunately, I don't, we don't have an office Halloween party. Yeah. I guess every day. Well, no. Every day every is day your day. Halloween. Every Halloween day. is your Christmas. Every day is a holiday. 
Halloween. I don't think I have as much uh, skeleton swag as Natalia has here. I oh, I, I yeah, I, I, I go overkill because I don't Such do what poser. he does. Oh I my know, god, I know. You're trying I, to I do with living spider monkeys. That's so yeah, total poser. <laughs> okay, we gotta wrap it up. This has been a wonderful, uh, fantastic, spooktacular uh, Halloween episode of Star Talk All Stars. Thanks so much, Sarah Rose Siskin. Where can the world find you? Uh, Twitter, uh, SR Siskind, and um, just watch Star Talk, the TV show, where I mostly write for. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. I, mm-hmm. I've, never, I've never watched it. Just... Yes, I've heard of this thing, Star Talk. <laughs> and thank you so much, uh, forensic anthropologist Chris Wainwater. You're a fantastic, uh, well, you're a fantastic anthropologist and guest. And where can the world find you if they want to follow you? Uh, I don't have much of a social media presence. I have Twitters and an Instagram, but I don't. I've never posted on them. So, so I, just die, yeah. and then hang you'll out, get to meet him. Yeah, die in a die confusing and, way, and, uh, and you'll get sent to this guy. Get just die in some weird circumstance. That's cool. I'm your host, Natalia Reagan. I uh, you can find me on Twitter at Natalia Thirteen Reagan. And uh, remember to keep staying curious, and you know, keep uh, digging dead things because you you might actually find a, a dead thing. <laughs> Happy Halloween! <laughs> Happy Halloween! <laughs> 